Welcome back to the Moose Bros Podcast, where we predict things that'll happen in the NFL about a week before they actually do. I'm Harris, Huncho Harris on the gram, here with my brother Armin, Armin Moose on the gram. Last week we lied about videos, so let's just get into this podcast. Well, it looks like Tua time began in Miami, reports today from our sources tell us that after this bye week, Tua Tagovailoa is uh, going to be the starting quarterback going forward. Do you uh, want to touch on that? Yeah, another uh, another addition of the power moves. I initially did <laughs> not think that they would put Tua in until they started shitting their pants with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. But when I thought about this move, it kind of makes sense. I maybe. Uh, you know, that going two for two for 80 yards was enough to get Brian Flores to be like, this is our guy. Yeah, I know. But, uh, no, I just think it makes sense because where they sit right now in the AFC East. Yeah, they're one game out of the lead. Yeah, Bills look pretty vulnerable. Patriots look vulnerable. The Jets are absolutely awful. So them making a run for the AFC East, <clears throat> I don't think it's likely. I don't think they will take that in the AFC East. But I think what they're thinking is like, hey, if we have a legitimate shot, I'd rather do it with our rookie, who's probably better than Ryan Fitzpatrick, and make a run for that playoff spot, especially with that seventh playoff spot now like in the mix. I think that's what they're thinking is. It's like, hey, the AFC East is still open. We've been playing well with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Let's see what we have in the rookie, and let's see if he could take us to potentially either win the AFC East or you know, make that playoff push with how the AFC is kind of folding right now. That's, that's what I think they're doing, you know, heading into um, the bye week with uh, Tua. Yeah. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly why they did it. Yeah. I mean, he, he was going to have to come out sooner or later. It's just weird to see Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's been doing pretty well, you know, just kind of get benched for no reason. Um, but, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick's a good sport about it, you know, even when he got benched last year, you know, for Josh Rosen, just so Miami could see what they got out of Rosen. You know, he was still cool about it, stayed with the team. And as Ryan Fitzpatrick, you kind of have to understand that you're that kind of stopgap quarterback where Miami's future isn't invested in you, it's invested in this young guy. And Miami wants to see what they got in the young guy. You know, even if they don't get that first overall pick, Miami has three picks in the first round next year. One of those picks is looking like it's going to be like a top five pick considering how Houston is playing. So if they have to, although I don't see it happening because I see Trevor Lawrence going to the Jets because they won't win any games. But if Miami has to, they can potentially use those picks to trade up and maybe get a quarterback of the future if they they don't see what they like out of Tua. Although it would be weird to see them draft another quarterback so soon. I wouldn't put it past them. I mean... Brian Flores just comes out of nowhere with these decisions, came out of nowhere, deciding to play Tua. Uh, what do you think, though, about his first game being against the Rams? He does have that bye week this week where he doesn't have to – or where he get, he can have more time to prepare, but he's preparing for arguably the best defensive lineman and best cornerback in the league. How do you think he'll perform against the Rams? Uh, it'll be interesting – 
I think him starting with the Rams will be a good test for him because they're middle of the pack defense. Uh, even with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, they don't really scare you much with all their other guys. So I think it'll be a good test for him because it's not like the Jets where it's like a complete wash and like everybody looks good against the Jets. I think it's a good test for him to be like, you know, I think it's even more of a confident boost if he goes out and beats a Rams team who, in all honesty, the only team that they beat because they beat on the NFC East, who is absolutely, I think NFC East in total has four wins, I think. So, yeah, so the Rams haven't really beat anybody good. They kept up with Buffalo and they should have beat, should have won despite all that. But regardless, they kept up with Buffalo and they haven't looked good all season, even though their record kind of indicates they have. Um, but in reality, they only beat bottom feeders in the NFL. So I think it's a good test for him, even though, like, for instance, they're a middle-of-the-pack team, but they do have Jalen Ramsey and they do have Aaron Donald, the guys you have to account for. So I think it's a, a good enough test to see, like, oh, hey, can he keep up with actual stars in the NFL, not just the Jets? And if he does, it's only a boost of confidence of him going forward. And now he has the Jets after them, which he should soundly beat. Um, you know, so I think it's a good test for him and a good decision, you know, for blind Brian Flores to bring him in this week rather than waiting after the bye week to play the Jets. And he has that, you know, just a week to prepare versus two weeks to prepare against, you know, middle of the pack defense. So. I don't know. I guess we'll see how it is. So if he, if he plays well against the Rams, then I only see him playing well against the Jets, obviously. Yeah, well, his uh, so he does play the Rams, but after that, he actually has the Cardinals, Chargers, and Broncos before he has to face the Jets again. Ah, oh, for some reason, I thought uh, they had the Jets. So right initially, after the bye week, they were, they were going to play the Jets, and then I don't remember who was after that, and then the Jets again. But their bye week, bye week got moved up with all the COVID thing happening oh, okay. and all the rescheduling. So, yeah, it's the Rams and then Cardinals. I mean, Cardinals looked really good last night against Dallas, but everybody looks good against Dallas. Right. Chargers Chargers have only won one game, but they've really yeah, they've been, been in pretty much all of their games. Yeah. Um, Broncos really give it to New England. So, you know, I, I don't know about how – yeah, I mean, the uh, Cardinals defense last night really forced some turnovers. I think they got Zeke to fumble a couple of times and uh, – the red rifle to throw a couple picks. I mean, Buda Baker is probably one of the best safeties in the league. And just, uh, you know, if they didn't lose Chandler Jones, they probably would have one of those top five defenses maybe. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like I said, Chargers have really been in it. So I think this is going to be a great test to see how he can hold up against, you know, not the best teams in the NFL, but teams that are doing pretty good, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, now that I know that's their schedule – um, I think it's a good, I guess, lineup to go against, especially if Miami's definitely thinking of, you know, trying to make some noise and maybe make some sort of playoff push. If not playoff, you know, like make the playoffs, at least be in the mix so they're not just playing meaning, meaningless football games. And you get to see Tua perform not at the end of the season where the season doesn't matter anymore, not a lot of risk. Um, you get to see him actually perform against like decent teams and you know kind of when there's some pressure on them to see how he could do in these games that actually mean something now because they're still the AFC East is not you know completely solidified yet and uh yeah. you know those other teams are kind of middle of the pack 
can be a competitive game. So I think it's a good move. Like I said in their previous podcast, I'd rather him play and see what they got in him versus him just completely sit the whole year. So I think it's a pretty good decision by Brian Flores, unless it completely blows up in his face, and then everyone's going to be like, oh, I knew he wasn't ready. I mean, if it does blow up in his face, do you think Miami does try to make a push for a cornerback given their draft capital? I don't think so because most teams don't do that. But even though they should, if that makes sense. Because I think a lot of times your quarterback... Well, I mean, the Cardinals did it when right. they had Rosen and then they went with Kyler Murray the next year. That's so what that I mean. That was probably the only time I've seen it. Right, that's what I mean. Like, But that was also with like a new regime coming in and they're like, uh, Rosen's not our guy, we're going with another guy. True. That's typically how it happens. It's not usually the same you know, regime and same coach or like, hey... He's not our guy. Let's go get someone else. Let's give a shot to someone else. But would they have the luxury of doing that with all their first-round picks? You know what I mean? So it's like it might not be a bad thing if they get, you know, if one of those quarterbacks falls to them, and they're like, hey, let's take a flyer on him, see what we got, and then maybe we can deal Tua, maybe we can deal this guy, you know, work with, like, trading him away or something like that. Because usually you don't, if you have a first-round pick, you want to give him time even if he's not showing the capabilities of being a quality starter, you still want to give him time with a better team around him. But you have the luxury of picking other, like a, another set of players who can help your team along with getting another top-tier quarterback. They're almost in yeah. a perfect situation to pick one if they do. Yeah. But, I mean, personally, I think if your quarterback is not doing well and he's showing signs of like, hey, he might not got it, I wish more – players or I wish more coaches and GMs were like, all right, it's a mistake. Let's go and move on and get someone else. But I think a lot of times with GMs and coaches, they're usually tied to the quarterback they pick and they're, they're in fear of saying it was a mistake and fear of losing their job. And that also comes down to the owner and shit like that. So if they do pick a quarterback, like I said, I think they're in a good position to actually pick one and still get quality players with the other two picks that if that quarterback doesn't work out or if they trade him or whatever, they still got you know quality starters with the other two picks. Right. Yeah, it's actually surprising to see how little uh, coaches are willing to move on from their you know first quarterback picked, even if I mean it sucks to you know move on from someone that quick, but it's rare to see a quarterback that struggles in his first year or second year really make that jump going forward into like three and four, but. What do you think the future is going to be like with Ryan Fitzpatrick? Do you think he's going to retire? Do you think he's going to stay with Miami or he's going to move on? I believe he's just on a contract till the end of this year. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's going to call it quits at the end of this year. I think this is going to be his official last ride. I think he knew his last year in the NFL was just you know that stopgap for Tua, which I think he was totally – like from the beginning of the season, like he came and addressed it. He's like, I know that's why I'm here. Marshawn Lynch status. It was like, uh, you know, I'm here until two was the guy and I'm going to support him. Once he becomes the guy, I'm going to support him all season. And you saw him on the sidelines when he came in, he was pumping him up and shit like yeah. that, which is super cool. So I think he knows that that's all he is in the NFL. He's completely comfortable with that. And I think that's why this season he's been kind of playing loose and kind of just like, you know, Knowing that, you know, his his numbers of playing days are on the wall. I don't know if I said that right, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I think this is his last year. I think he's officially just having fun this year in Miami with his chest hair out, and then he's done. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's actually crazy to think like any other quarterback, I'd totally agree with you. But with Ryan Fitzpatrick, you don't know because they, they put up a stat during the game last week where he's the only quarterback to have 5,000 yards, I believe it was, with three different teams. And all three teams are in the AFC East with the Bills, Jets, and Dolphins. So it would not surprise me one bit if the camp situation doesn't work out in New England if he goes up there and just gets another 5,000 yards with New England. Just because I feel like he loves playing football so much and he's just such a fun guy that he's like, yeah, why not just take over an entire conference and be the quarterback that got 5,000 yards with every team in the conference? Yeah, I mean, he could be that type of guy to just be, you know, just because he loves football that much and loves to have fun or whatever doesn't really have much pressure on him to succeed because everyone kind of knows who he is to just keep it going because why does it doesn't really hurt yeah. still collecting a paycheck still good to do what you do for a living i could definitely see that but i just feel like this year when he came in um you know really like understanding of the role he had in Tua and stuff like that how accepting he was i almost kind of made me feel like he was like hey i'm gonna call it quits after this year anyway so it's all good but I could definitely see him continuing yeah. as much as I see him retiring for sure. You don't really know because he's still got, you know, he's still healthy. He's still got some football in him. It just depends on if anyone wants to pick him up at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it would not surprise me that for New England to pull that off either, seeing if, you know, the cam doesn't work out that they would, you know, pick up a rookie quarterback and kind of have Fitzpatrick do what he did in Miami and mentor that quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that too. I don't know, it'd definitely be interesting to see what happens with him. If he, I mean, yeah, because every team he's been on, he's at least been successful enough to, you know, be competitive until he fizzles out, I guess. Yeah. It's crazy that he's actually never made the playoffs before, though. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, though, for every team he's been on. Yeah, well, he's kind of been that lead guy on every team, but he's not the franchise quarterback, right. so. It makes sense. So moving on to another franchise, actually from the game last night. Um, as you mentioned, the NFC East really isn't too competitive. They have four wins amongst all the teams together. Um, but the Dallas Cowboys got walloped by the Cardinals. And stories are coming out today that Mike McCarthy is, I don't, I don't know, bad coach. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, but I guess an anonymous source said that the coaching staff is not doing enough to get prepared for football games. And I guess whether or not this is true, do you think it's more worrisome that someone anonymous leaked this or more worrisome that players actually think that the coaching staff is not getting them ready? I think it's definitely more worrisome that the players don't think like if this is true that they don't think that uh, McCarthy and the coaching staff get them ready. That means they're already not bought into the system and they already don't feel a sense of that, you know, they can win with this coach and with this team. And that automatically puts you in a position to not win games because one of the most important things with any team or with any project, say you're working on is you buying into the system, you buying into the process because if you start with if you start with buying in, that means you got to put in your full effort to try and win games, to be competitive, and you know listen to your coach when he says, "Oh, hey, make this adjustment." You don't brush him off. You're like, "Oh, okay, he's definitely putting me in the position to win these games or win my battles one on one." So the moment you start saying this coach is a bum, 
He's a fat slob. Whatever they're saying about him over there. The moment yeah. you start saying that, you're already giving up. You're already losing. You're already not trusting the process. And that sucks for not only the coach, because he has players that don't believe in him, but that sucks for the players too, because now you're not putting in your full effort. You know, it's just like a psychological thing. It's kind of like when you have a boss at work, you don't give a shit about what are your odds of wanting to work your best effort for that boss? You're probably like, fuck this guy. I can care less about this job. I can care less about this clown. I'm trying to get out of here. I'm trying to get him fired, wherever the hell it is. So it's the same thing when it comes to, you know, being a football player and your coach is sitting here telling you to do this, this, and that. Yeah, like, man, fuck this clown. Like, professional or not, if you don't believe in the system, if you don't believe in whatever goal you're trying to achieve and that guy will get you there, you're not going to win many games. You're not going to be that successful because you're already kind of losing in the beginning. So I think it's more worrisome that there, there's rumors and reports coming out that these players are like, man, fuck this guy in his stupid hat. I mean, you know, Dallas, they have come out pretty bad, albeit Dak's, Dak was on pace for a record-setting season. Um, the only teams they did beat were the Giants and the Falcons. Oh, Falcons on a yeah, miracle comeback. So, yeah, I can see the players being frustrated that, you know, they're not in games like they should be uh, considering the talent that they have on offense. But do you think that is even true that it's the coaching staff's fault considering Mike McCarthy's record in the NFL Super Bowl winning head coach? Do you think it's it might actually be on him or do you think it's the players, I don't know, being too diva i guess if you will i don't i mean that's always hard to tell because you don't have the you know all 22 film you don't know what's actually going on beyond you know in the locker room in game adjustments like what if mike mccarthy's calling all the right shit but the players are not executing it well and they're not you know playing to their full potential or whatever the hell is going on so there's really no way to tell unless you're kind of within the organization but, I mean, Mike McCarthy, when they made that signing, everyone was kind of skeptical because a lot of people were saying that he was only successful because of Aaron Rodgers and because of the strong team that was built over there in Green Bay. Because once Aaron Rodgers was injured or um, once the talent started dipping over there in Green Bay, Mike McCarthy's coaching wasn't living up to par. So I remember a lot of when he got hired at the time, a lot, a lot of people were kind of on his side. I mean, I could maybe I was in the wrong circles or whatever, but for the most part, not a lot of people were excited about the hire because a lot of people felt like his success was because of Aaron Rodgers. Um, so I don't know. There's no way to tell kind of what's going on in the background. Obviously, this last game they played without Dak Prescott. They played with Andy Dalton, who fizzled out in Cincinnati. So I mean, it could be he's calling the right plays, and Andy Dalton wasn't seeing shit. Because Dak Prescott was able to put up points, their defense just couldn't stop anybody. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much as a coach you can do when, you know, your star running back fumbles twice. And yeah, I mean, you're working with your backup quarterback, might not be familiar with the system. And I guess one of those interceptions was questionable, but I can't remember if the other one was a bad read on Dalton's part. Uh, either way, though, I guess only time will tell considering how the rest of the season goes. It would just suck to see players give up on him if, you know, it's it's not really his fault that some players aren't buying in for whatever the reason might be. 
I think it also sucks that it's an anonymous source being like, you know, this is what's going on rather than keeping it in-house. I don't, I don't think as a head coach or even as a teammate, you want something like that leaked. I mean, that's, you know, that's some rat shit right there. Yeah, that, I mean, that's definitely frustrating and annoying uh, from a Cowboys, you know, fan perspective of like, you just got this coach for, what is it, five weeks into the se- six weeks into the season and people so, are already yeah. calling for his head. When everybody, you know, had to deal with, uh, you know, Garrett's eight and eight, constant eight and eight seasons, and they were sick yeah. of it. Then you get this guy, and it's like starting worse, and you're just like, okay, what the fuck? And then you're just like looking for someone to blame. I don't know. It's it's super interesting. I guess, like you said, only time will tell. But it, like, the way the season has gone so far, and all these reports coming out, you're like, dude, is this guy gone at the end of the season? So, I don't know, it'll be interesting. I mean, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if he was gone halfway through the season, if something like that is actually yeah, true. Yeah, for sure. So, moving on to the other Monday night football game, the Bills came out pretty flat against Kansas City. Uh, an offense that's pretty much been a powerhouse has been subdued these last two weeks. And you mentioned before that it'll really show once they get tested. Um, has Buffalo been overhyped this whole time? Do you think so? I feel so. I mean, last okay. night... They had they had one drive that was a legitimate drive for a touchdown, and it almost seems like it wasn't really what Buffalo was doing. It was Kansas City just kind of falling asleep. I think it was like their second drive of the third quarter there. Um, or it might have been in the fourth. I can't remember. Whenever they scored their touchdown in the second half, it almost seemed like Kansas City was just kind of like, all right, we got this game in hand. And then Buffalo just drove down in a couple of minutes and scored. But aside from that, their other score came on – or their other touchdown came on a questionable – defensive pass interference call and aside from that Buffalo's really hasn't been able to move the ball at all um do you think this is showing how good Kansas City's defense is or more worrisome for the Buffalo Bills not being able to produce like they have all to me it's more worrisome that the Buffalo Bills haven't been able to produce because if you look at the opponents they played again they played the Jets we all know what they are the Dolphins at that time they were still figuring things out with their defense. So, I mean, again, you could just say they're average. And then the Rams, who, again, like I said, they haven't beat anybody other than the freaking poor-ass NFC East. So it's like, how good are they really? And then the um, Raiders, I mean, I guess you could say it's a convincing win. Maybe they caught the Raiders on a bad day how possibly the Raiders caught the Chiefs on a bad day. There's no way to really know until the season completely folds out. But the Bills haven't really beat anybody. And obviously they got crushed by the Titans, and you could throw it up to, oh, they were prepared. Titans had two weeks, all that stuff everyone's throwing around. Yeah. And then, But they got crushed. They got beat you know, thoroughly. And then same thing with the Chiefs. The, close, uh, the score was close, but if you look at you know, the score, or, or if you don't look at the score, the Chiefs completely dominated that game. And at no point did it ever look like Kansas City was ever in jeopardy of losing. And I felt like even if Bills got close, it almost seemed like the Kansas City Chiefs would just kick it up a notch and just do whatever they wanted. So Andy Reid knew that game, going into that game, that they weren't going to play their play style, which is typically more air raid offense. He knew the Bills' defense mm-hmm. couldn't stop the run game, and he was okay with just methodically moving the ball down the field. And they they almost had the ball twice as much as the Bills had the ball. And this, you know, like I said, the score doesn't really reflect 
the dominance of the Chiefs that game. But in all honesty, you know, their run game just they just ran it down their throats and Bills couldn't do anything about it. And on the other end with Josh Allen, he looked like old Josh Allen for these past two weeks. Throwing really bad passes, just um inaccurate and you know, the, you know, wasn't reading the field well, things like that. Obviously, the rain played a factor because it was raining kind of nonstop. And, of course, for any, mm-hmm. you know, team that loves to throw the ball, that's going to affect it no matter what. But right. to me, that was the first time they got tested. These last two weeks, they got tested by, you know, potential contenders. And they honestly folded. They did not look good at all on both sides of the ball. Like, it wasn't like their defense was giving up a ton of points and their offense was still clicking. Their offense looked bad as well as their defense looked bad these last two weeks so yeah you know i was thinking maybe you could chalk it up to you know them just having a bad game against tennessee all the scheduling stuff blah blah but they didn't look that much better against kansas city and you know kansas city has a good offense middle of the pack defense so it's interesting i don't know i i, I think that their cards or i think that they you know they were showing how good they really were these last two weeks um so we'll see how they play against the other, I guess, contenders because they have, like, Baltimore and stuff on their schedule. Yeah, I mean, Buffalo came into the game looking to really, you know, prevent any sort of big plays in the passing game. Just kind of odd considering the weather conditions. I don't know if Kansas City would have tried to test that many big plays, but Kansas City was perfectly fine picking up those chunk yards in the running game uh, with Frenchie and just ripping Buffalo apart. It almost seemed like Buffalo didn't, adjust to that at all they could not stop the run game and even when they did make some stops pat mahomes just did what pat mahomes does break out of the pocket find an open guy and you know get it to him um also travis kelsey looked weird as fuck without a beard he's gonna have to grow that shit back because that shit ain't working but it's weird you know living here in buffalo you kind of see all the buffalo fans post to social media a lot of them are blaming the coaching staff for this loss, and I don't see how this was on the coaching staff. Sure, they might not have made an adjustment, but I I think even if they did make adjustments, Kansas City was going to be prepared for it. Yeah, I don't know how much of this is on the coaching staff. I feel like a lot of it is on Josh Allen this game. He just couldn't hit anything. Um, like I mean, in terms of regards to the coaching staff, Stephon Dix was a problem for the Kansas City Chiefs. Every time he had a one-on-one they he beat him he forced the flag or whatever it was and i feel like that second half stefan diggs wasn't like targeted at all and could that be because josh Allen wasn't seeing him because a lot of times he was looking away from him and going through his progressions on the opposite side of the field so i don't know how much of that was game plan i don't know how much of that was josh allen not looking his way or not reading the field right but if i'm going to put anything on the coaching staff I would be that they didn't get Stefan Diggs involved at all in the second half, which obviously is their best player on offense. He's a mismatch nightmare, especially for those corners um, for the Kansas City Chiefs. So, again, in the middle of the pack, you know, they're good, but they're not all that. And somebody Stephon Diggs can definitely exploit. And they had a lot of one-on-ones with him, and they I don't, didn't really throw his way. I don't know if that was game plan or what it was, but if I'm going to pinpoint anything the coaching staff – didn't do it would be they didn't get Stefan Diggs the ball in the second half that could have possibly changed you know the outcome but that's the only thing I would say but I don't know Allen to me just didn't look good that game yeah it was definitely odd to see them not go to Diggs in the second half I don't know if maybe Kansas City made an adjustment to 
change up the coverage against him. But yeah, like you said, every time he was in man-to-man coverage, uh, he either caught the ball or he drew a flag. And I remember the one time they they had two receivers on the right, and I think Diggs like might have fallen over, might have been pushed down, but Allen didn't even look his way and just threw it over to the left, and the ball got deflected. I just remember thinking, like, if he threw it over to Diggs, probably would have drawn a flag because he was on the ground. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, that's the only thing I would say from a coaching standpoint. Again, it's kind of one of those things. It's like you don't know what the coaches are drawing up and scheming up. For the most part, the Bills coaching staff has been pretty good at preparing their teams. Like these last two weeks, maybe they've just been struggling or maybe it's the play on the field. The coaches aren't, you know, I don't know. That's, again, something that, you know, only people who know in the organization they didn't look prepared these last two weeks, but maybe they just got outplayed by better teams. That could be it, too. Yeah, it's just funny to see how much these fans will ride for Josh Allen where they're willing to blame anybody else but him. Kind of like yeah. the Blaine Gabbert situation in Jacksonville, although Gabbert wasn't really anything special. Yeah, I mean, that always happens with when you pick a franchise quarterback and you finally think you got your guy. You're going to try to make any excuse possible to – you know, make him look like he is the guy and it's everybody else's fault when sometimes sometimes it's just the quarterback's fault. I look at it as a Jax fan with Gardner Minshew. He's dealt a really shitty hand. He has a really shitty team, shitty coaching staff, but he doesn't do himself any favors either. He's missing a lot of throws that he typically makes, and he just looks lost sometimes. And sometimes you have to chalk it up to, okay, maybe he's just not as good as we thought he was whatever whatever coaching staff and stuff is in place, maybe he's just not that good. Maybe he's just reached his potential already. And it's hard to look at it that way because when it's a guy you want to root for, you want to try to find whatever excuse you can. Because when you see someone like Mahomes' situation who's thriving, he's put in a really good situation. He has a really good coaching staff. He has good weapons, good line, and a good scheme and all that. So it's like when he, you know, so it's almost like you're jealous of it because it's like he has the perfect situation to succeed. When your guy doesn't, you're going to try to find all his excuses. But in reality, Pat Mahomes would do probably just as well with another coach and, you know, other type of players. But it's just a perfect storm for what he has. Yeah. So it is interesting that – I mean, that's just like a typical fan reaction. If you're a fan of that guy, you're going to try and find that excuse no matter what the hell happens uh, and how bad or how good he is. Yeah, it kind of brings it back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, regimes moving on from the first quarterback that they drafted. It's it's really hard to give up on a guy like that when, you know, you brought him in to be your franchise. Yeah, exactly. Um, so did you want to do some power ranking analysis? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so getting into the power rankings brought to you by NFL.com. Um Looks like they got Kansas City at number one, Pittsburgh number two, Tennessee three, Baltimore four, Seattle to round out the top five, and then Tampa, Green Bay, Buffalo, LA Rams, and the Saints to round out the top ten. Yeah, when I look at the top ten, for the most part, it looks pretty – makes sense. Like, it uh, looks pretty good. I would definitely move the Seahawks, I think, to third and kind of push everyone else down. Pittsburgh Steelers being number five. Well, again, when I look at their schedule, yeah, they just came off and beat the Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. But who the hell? Who have they really beat? Again, they beat the poor. They beat the poor teams in the NFL, right? The Broncos, the 
uh, the Eagles, Giants. the Giants. So it's like they haven't really beat anyone that good. You could say they, you know, the best team they played was the Browns, and they did beat them soundly. But again, Browns too. They, I mean, they still had a lot left, or they, you know, their their record I think was better than what they were actually playing. So I don't think I would put Pittsburgh at number two. I think I would move the Seattle Seahawks to number two. Yeah. And then kind of push everyone down. I might even have the Titans above the Steelers, but those are kind of interchangeable. But I think other than that, everything else looks pretty good. But I just don't th- – I don't think Seahawks – I don't think Pittsburgh should be number two. Yeah, it's – yeah, it's hard to keep them up there seeing the, the teams that they have beat. But honestly, until the last two weeks, they haven't really done anything that was outstanding. Um, Chase Claypool, though, doing great things. And then their defense is really good. I Just like you said, though, I feel like I don't know if they would, they should be number two or even like top three. Um, and, yeah, Seattle definitely deserves more respect than number five. Uh, as far as anything below that, I mean, Tampa had a, you know, a legitimate – crushing of the Packers but until then they really just seemed like a mid-tier team I don't know how they got bumped up to six even the LA Rams being at number nine it's odd to see although I don't know who I would push up there yeah I mean these are always like a crapshoot I think I think everything is pretty much I would maybe put the New England Patriots above the Chicago Bears okay I'll also switch 11 and 12 yeah I would probably do that um, just because the Bears still for I don't know maybe it's just because Maybe they are better than I think they are, but I don't. They're they don't really scare me with Nick Foles and stuff at quarterback. I don't know. I, I mean, I could just be biased, but they don't really scare me. Yeah, I agree. It's it's weird to see them continue to win, and I mean, everybody knows it's the defense that's doing it, but it's impressive to see a defense carry a team to five and one through the six, first six games of the year. Um. So below that, we got the Raiders at number thirteen, followed by the Cardinals, Browns. Colts, 49ers, Chargers, Panthers, and then the Dolphins at 20. Um, it sucks that the Cardinals losses, but I feel like they should be higher than 14. But I'm going to keep riding for the Cardinals. I like them this year. Uh, and, I mean, the Colts almost just lost to the Texans. I don't know if they should be at 16. To the Bengals? Oh, yeah, the Bengals. My bad. Who only have one win on the year. So... I don't know if they should be at number 16. Yeah, uh, that one, yeah. I mean, that one's, again, kind of interchangeable. Like, I would put San Francisco above them, but because San Francisco was dealt kind of a bad hand with all their injuries, they'd probably be better if they didn't have those injuries. I would put San Francisco above the Colts, I think. Yeah, it's like the Panthers. I feel like they probably are in the right place, but they're like the most forgotten about team this year, I feel like. I never hear anything about them. Yeah, they're like slowly like winning games and being competitive, and like no one even knows. Like, Nobody oh, yeah, knows. Yeah, there's that's going on over there. Yeah, but yeah, as far as the mid tier, I feel like it's mostly right. And then the bottom has got the Broncos, Lions, Eagles, Texans, Falcons, Cowboys, Vikings, Bengals, Giants, Washington Jaguars, and the uh, New York Jets being the worst team. Yeah. Uh, I think all that is pretty spot on. I would probably put Houston Texans above Philly, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, Houston did almost just beat Tennessee, so. And they had a tough schedule. They had, obviously, the, the 
Yeah, they had the Chiefs. They had the uh, Ravens, the Steelers, the Titans. Um, So I think that – and they were competitive in most of those games. Mm -hmm. So I think I would put them above Philly right now. Yeah, and I think the Bengals do deserve a little bit more respect than being the fourth worst team, although they do only have one win on the year, Um, especially how they played against the Colts. I think they they should be, I don't know, maybe one or two spots higher. And Dallas could easily be, you know, winless. So I don't know if they're deserving of 26. But looking at the teams below them, I guess it does make sense. Yeah, I would say they're still better than all those teams below them. And, I mean, the Lions, I don't know about jumping up to 22. I I feel like a couple weeks ago they were, like, last or second last in the league. I feel like their win over Arizona, they caught them in a bad bad week, and their other win came against Jacksonville. But they've done nothing, you know, worthy of being, I guess, a mid-tier team, albeit their 22nd ranked on here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess only they haven't beat good teams, but I guess, you know, the Cardinals was a good win or whatever. They obviously beat Jacksonville, which I think anybody would be Jacksonville at this point right now. Um but, you know, I guess you could, when you look at the, the teams that they faced, the Saints and the Packers, and they blew those leads and they had a good lead on them, and they also blew the lead against the uh, Chicago Bears, who were 5-1, so I, I could justify that. Yeah, and what they – did they lose – did they play the Falcons? No, I think it was someone else. Uh, but, yeah, that's pretty much it for the power rankings. Do you want to touch on anything else? Uh, no, nothing I can think of. All right. Well, that wraps up this week's uh, Moose Bros podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you just want to see clips instead of the whole podcast, check us out on our YouTube channel. Go Hawks. <laughs>